Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting here on Saga 960 AM and the Coastal Carolina Network. One half of your host, Yael Usoski, reporting to you once more from uh, Washington, D.C., amongst the columns uh, amidst the <laughs> politicians and uh, restaurants. Uh, this is a fun time, and I'm joined by my colleague, David Clement, who's up there in uh, Toronto, Ontario. David, sir, how goes it? Uh, it's going well. Yael coming to us live from Mordor. Yeah, happening again. I was here just a couple weeks ago, but we're back, yep. and uh, we've had uh, some successful meetings. Uh, we held our event uh, with some of our colleagues, uh, Beat Smoking Like the Swedes. Uh, so we held a, a nice little Swedish-themed uh, affair with uh, meatballs that had um, Swedish flags in them. We had uh, Viking yep. helmets. Uh, we were playing the music of ABBA. And uh, one Swedish uh, gentleman who's, um, uh, I think he's a journalist uh, who was there, gave me a couple recommendations uh, for some, some other Swedish music. Uh, he did not tell me it was death metal. Oh. Uh, so, I, yeah, sure, it was Swedish, but I don't know if the uh, party goers appreciated that. So I did switch back to uh, getting money, screamed money, at. Money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, I mean, how have the Swedes beat smoking? Yeah, that's a very good point. There you go, David. Thank you for being on message. Uh, So how have they beat smoking? So if you don't know, uh, Sweden has effectively a smoke-free country. Uh, So they have penetrated under the 5% of their population are smokers limit. And that means, uh, per the definitions that everyone maintains, that means that they are essentially smoke-free. You would think, uh, well, it must be the, the Swedish cuisine. It must be uh, Ikea, they've got kits uh, to get people to quit. Uh, not at all. Uh, the reason it's at 5% and under is because Sweden happens to have a beautiful thing known as a carve-out or an exemption from normal European Union law that allows them to sell one particular product category that some of us may know well in North America, and that is snooze. Uh, so snooze is uh, more widely used and has allowed people now for generations to enjoy their nicotine products without combustible tobacco. So because Sweden has this carve-out, and because they have essentially been able to continue to sell this and uh, to to supply some of the other uh, European countries, uh, that means that they really have been able to achieve this new smoke-free status. And uh, the point that we were kind of making at our event is, Hey, look, if you embrace alternatives, if you allow people to enjoy some kind of nicotine alternatives, you too can achieve a very low smoking rate. So I think a pretty important message. And uh, yeah, it was a good time in, in D.C. to be able to, to spread that. Uh, there's a couple pictures floating around on social media. If you go over to the page of the Consumer Choice Center, you'll see that. But uh, overall, it was a nice little fun event. Uh, the meatballs that we got were not Ikea meatballs. And... Uh, <laughs> There were uh, spicy meatballs. I think it was a bit too spicy. And so, what? It, like, what, what's the? What are the data differences um, in terms of whatever the risks are? Because I know a lot of we, we, you and I have talked a lot about vaping. The UK government kind of sees it as essentially ninety-five percent less harmful um, than than smoking. How does uh, how do how does snus or nicotine pouches, which are technically not snus, compare to um, to smoking? So, if you look at the continuum of risk between mm-hmm. um, your normal 
<clears throat> Marlboro or whatever cigarette you might um, have, enjoy, or um, you're trying to quit, and something like vaping or a nicotine pouch, snooze is actually about in the middle. So it still does contain tobacco, which yep. many vaping products do not. Uh, the nicotine pouches do not. So you still have tobacco. Uh, you still have direct contact to the gums and the lips. Uh, so you still do have some risk there, and you are essentially swallowing uh, some of the uh, tobacco leaf that's been cured and salt dried and everything else um, that's in this. However, it does allow you a quicker access to that nicotine to enter your bloodstream. So yes, where's the risk? Uh, it comes more with uh, sort of, it, it's a lot in the mouth. So you're going to have obviously a lot of uh, irritation of, of the gums and lips, but you know, you get that with smoking anyway, because you're yeah. lighting your mouth on fire. Uh, essentially, <laughs> uh, but you know, there's there's snooze as a product category, and then there are the nicotine pouches, which are in principle the same thing, uh, but actually just derived of uh, sweeteners and and pure nicotine. So no tobacco and none of that risk, um, yeah. and just uh, just nicotine right there on the inside of your gummy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the, I mean, that's uh, when I when I've looked at the data, it's if you were to give smoking a hundred points for risk um, at the very end of the spectrum on the other end with pouches, um, which have become quite popular, especially in the U S there's a couple of big brands that are cult favorites. Um, it's, you'd give it like a two on the hundred scale of, of risk. Um, so it's substantially different, but it also, I mean, importantly, it represents a really interesting opportunity for people to stop smoking, which yep. Actual um, tool. It's not a dare program. It's not a yeah. Uh, you know, bureaucrat funded uh, public awareness campaign. It's an actual product, a tool, and something that people can buy in ordinary shops and stores, convenience places. Um, that is, you know, how it should be. Because who has the most interest in making sure that you make better decisions or the decisions you want? It's only you. Uh, sorry, it's not going to be the uh, local public health uh, administrator or bureaucrat will do that and they all have their own interest in terms of always increasing their budgets and you know playing this um and i gotta say david we were in town also for the um the e-cig summit e-cigarette summit conference this one's interesting because you have a lot of regulators so the fda is there health canada is very much there and uh this is the the one opportunity that a lot of vapors activists um you know advocacy groups such as ours can can actually directly meet them sort of on neutral territory. Um, and these are very mealy mouth people. They, uh, they sort of waffle, um, you know, there's charts and graphs showing exactly how the UK and Sweden, you know, they've achieved great numbers and FDA people are just kind of sitting there mumbling uh, because they've created this Byzantine process and they can't really defend it. And they're just kind of all over the place. Then they, they just have a, well, we need to wait and see how the evidence pans out. Uh, Health Canada too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. It seems very soft. I mean, especially in comparison to like the UK, right? The underlying assumption there. And we have this with pharmaceutical approvals with a lot of healthcare discussions. It's like, wait, so the underlying assumption is that what is good for people in the UK is not necessarily good for people in Canada or the United States. And it's like, well, I don't think you could find a more comparable 
country um, to to lean on. It's not like a country that's radically different or has a drastically different socioeconomic status or different history with tobacco use or anything like that. Like it's about as close as you can get in terms of a comparative country. Um, and yet for some reason, a lot of health regulators are just content to sit on their hands. Uh, and unfortunately, while they sit on their hands, a lot of these things are restricted or not available or uh, hard to come by which just means that at the end of the day, you have more people continuing to smoke, which is supposed to be. Yeah, and that's why the, the opposite yeah, the of what we're trying delivers to do. These, the market delivers all the solutions that they're supposedly looking for. And, you know, they have this approach. And again, I, I think it, it comes down to just the academia and governmental regulator pipeline. Everybody is, is very, very dependent on various grants. Everybody is very dependent on this very strange academic system of publishing. And there's mm -hmm. all of these the, the perverse incentives that are built in that make it so that it's very slow. It doesn't react well when, you know, new market things come up. And consumers, though, can benefit right away. And they can already start using this stuff, already try out the latest tech. And, you know, the academics and those who are in the regulatory institutions, um, basically, they they just kind of snowball a case to try to get rid of all this stuff and i don't know yeah. if there's a a long-term fix for that but i think that's why it's important to have voice of the consumers and, and really trying to be very active in that process uh because yeah we still do live in you know somewhat of a democracy i think so we should still have our our uh, our voices uh, as citizens be heard too yeah and what's interesting is in that it, almost every jurisdiction it runs completely counter to the approach on other substances. So like in Canada, you have safe injection sites or drug testing facilities or the distribution of, of hydromorphone or other substances, uh, safe supply, all of these harm reduction initiatives. And yet for tobacco harm reduction, they seem rather silent um, or slow. And then on alcohol, they do almost the exact opposite um, of, of harm reduction and almost going the abstinence only, uh, no safe use approach. Very eer eerily similar of like the old war on drugs, just say no, which obviously did not work. Um, and so there's this huge blind spot for policymakers where there's no consistency across the board. Yeah. And I think uh, someone who's elevating that message a little bit is a um, friend of the show. Uh, we're talking about Nathaniel Erskine Smith. I saw um, he, he put out a little video talking about, um, you know, mention harm reduction, mention uh, addiction, these kind of things. Uh, what do you think? Actually uh, give context uh, for some of the listeners who uh, perhaps are not as attuned to the uh, political campaign happening in your back door there. You're back. Here. Yeah. So You're Nathaniel Erskine Smith, <laughs> friend of the show. Um, he's a federal liberal. Um, I would describe him as one of the most independent um, politicians in Ottawa uh, in terms of voting against the party or openly disagreeing uh, with some of the decisions made by Trudeau. Um, one of his big 
kind of focus points federally has been harm reduction, essentially just treating drug use and abuse as a health issue and not a criminal justice issue, um, which I think is a, a very mature way of going about it. And uh, he's ruled some of that into his campaign to be the Ontario Liberal leader, uh, because they are looking for a new leader after getting shellacked in the last election by uh, Premier Doug Ford's Conservatives. And so it's interesting to see someone make the jump from federal to provincial um, while still maintaining a lot of that uh, that consistency uh, perspective or policy-wise that we saw or that we see from him in Ottawa. So we'll see what that looks like at the provincial level because um, with Canada – it is both centralized, but then incredibly decentralized, depending on the subject area. Um, healthcare being something that is, uh, for the most part, entirely decided by the provinces, funded by the federal government, but maintained and managed and decided by um, the federal government. And so, uh, or sorry, decided by the provincial government. Um, and so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in a provincial discussion, because it's certainly a hot topic right now with everything going on in BC. Um, and it's I my feel, and maybe maybe you feel the same way, it's kind of becoming increasingly harder to hold the line on that because of some mismanagement with some of the harm reduction programs in regards to opioids, but um, encouraging nonetheless. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, there's just a lot of different issues that are popping up. There are you know, concerns about crime, concerns about addiction, Nobody has all the right answers. You know, this is a, it's a very complicated problem that relies a lot on, on individuals. And often they don't have access to uh, some of these other alternatives or perhaps don't have family support networks or, you know, there's, yeah. it's, it's very complicated stuff. It's very difficult to come up with a policy answer, but that will not stop uh, the policy apparatus from uh, assuming it can be fixed with a swipe of a pen. Uh, believe me, it's not. <laughs> You know, how often did we hear about the slums of, uh, of New York throughout all the years? And then Giuliani comes in and, you know, with an iron fist and cleans up the streets. And uh, from everything I hear about New York now, it's it's all the same. Uh, so we'll have, we'll have more of that chatter uh, once we come back here on Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, plenty more as well um, to hear about the news of the day because there's some interesting stuff relating to consumers and uh, some, some politics. We'll get into it. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. I'm getting back here on the mic, uh, broadcasting here from D.C. And uh, David has gave us kind of a lay of the land in terms of politics and what's happening in, in Canada, Ontario specifically. Uh, there's been a lot of great social media news and, and sniping. Uh, David, I, I got to tell you, uh, I'm very interested by your latest article here. And I know we've uh, discussed this a little bit in the past, uh, but you came out on fire with this one. And so looks like, um, you know, you are you're definitely riled up. And uh, to, to kind of give some perspective here to the listeners, uh, title of the article, anti-alcohol extremists should not determine alcohol policy. It's increasingly clear that the temperance lobby, those who think drinking any amount of alcohol is unsafe, is increasing its influence. Stellar, stellar, yes. stellar. So what uh, what fired you up here? 
uh, Sir, Sir well, we had talked about it before. We've had a couple of guests on the show. The the report done by the Canadian Substance uh, Canadian Center for Substance Use and Abuse. Their kind of proposal for guidelines that you shouldn't have more than two drinks a week, and if you have more than two drinks a week, you're seriously jeopardizing your health. There's also the WHO. The World Health Organization, they released a guide for journalists, um, which was uh, very astutely described by our, another friend of the show, uh, Christopher Snowden, as a catalog of anti-drinking tropes, half-truths, and brazen lies. The um, are great at that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And essentially what it comes down to is – they're misrepresenting the data on alcohol consumption. So they, they will make the claim that there is no safe amount um, of alcohol. But there is a lot of peer-reviewed research that actually suggests that moderate drinking, one to two uh, conventional drinks per day, um, can actually be beneficial for your health, your health. And when they look at all cause mortality, those who drink, if you look at risk, you're right, you'd expect for every drink, it would rise linear, like a straight line. But at one drink, it actually drops below the kind of standard threshold. And it doesn't cross back up above that until just beyond two drinks, meaning that those who, um, those who do have, let's say, a beer in the evening uh, here and there um, tend to actually live longer than those who abstain entirely. Uh, so that doesn't mean that you should drink if you don't. Uh, it's not health advice, but it completely undermines the premise of what the WHO is putting out, what the uh, CCSA is putting out, and it really matters now because now regional health authorities and provincial health authorities are taking the CCSA's report, presenting it as fact, uh, as if it's some sort of gold standard, and essentially, in my opinion, lying to the public about what the risks are. Um, and it's really unfortunate because if you want to have an actual conversation about alcohol abuse appropriate, needed. Um, you can't do it by gerrymandering the numbers to get to an abstinence-only conclusion. And that is what it looks like both the WHO and these regional health authorities have done and the CCSA report has done. And it's just bad. It's bad science. Um, and it just leads itself to fear-mongering. I mean, BC Cancer now has this very scary uh, campaign where they have ads on bus stops and <clears throat> alcohol bottles are on the bus stops and the, the label is cancer. And it wow. talks about how even consuming low amounts of alcohol is going to give you cancer. Um, and it's all built on the CCSA's report and the CCSA's report is junk. Uh, I mean, the international scientific forum on alcohol research called the CCSA's report, a pseudoscientific amalgamation of selected studies of low scientific validity that fit their preconceived notions. Um, so yeah, just some real funny business here. And so that was what the, that's the, the summary quickly of 
what I had written for the Financial Post, just trying to highlight like, hey, these people have an agenda and it seems to be that they're winning the day, uh, despite the fact that the evidence suggests that they're not being truthful. That's exactly what we talked about in the last segment. You know, you've got, uh, you know, these um, some academics or uh, government regulators who kind of collude on, on some of that and come out with this uh, recommendation that for some reason we're all supposed to follow. But if you actually start digging into the details and, you know, looking at the footnotes and <laughs> just looking at the actual things that they're mentioning. Yeah. Just like that, that nice little academic quote you gave before, you know, low confidence. Um, which yeah. Is kind of what I'd, I'd give a lot of this stuff, you know, and just people have learned experience. So there's, again, we know everything is dangerous at the end of the day. You know, I'm, I'm four floors up right now. Um, <laughs> kind of dangerous. You know, I'm looking out over the window and, you know, elevator could not work. I could fall down the stairs. Uh, many of you might have gotten on a ladder recently. You know, there there are ways that we can manage the risk and, you know, to continue to especially use lies. I don't know about you, David, but I've I've, I've tended to come out a bit more anti-lie uh, recently. Uh, yeah, I think deception is generally frowned upon. One would hope. Yeah, this is. Yeah. A, I, I seem to remember a lot of um, television channels telling us that uh, lying, particularly by American presidents, was so bad. Uh, we would hope that would also be extended to uh, governmental bodies, institutions, and reports that they put out. Uh, but again, we have been doing this a while, and uh, there's no way that the the lies will, will simply, you know, go away like um, like a little vape cloud. They won't go and dissipate, unfortunately. Well, or, or and it's it's just what's so wild for me is these are temperance groups, so the groups who think that you should never consume any amount of alcohol under any circumstances. They're guiding alcohol policy. What would it look like if we allowed PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, um, to craft meat consumption policy? Or what would it look like if we uh, crafted our sex education curriculum um, at the behest of, let's say, evangelical abstinence-only folks? Um or if Greenpeace Everyone would, um, had to build the Trans Mountain Pipeline, you know? yeah, <laughs> right. You know, if you you know the conclusion um, as you finish asking the question, and it's just incredibly irritating that for some reason on alcohol policy, there's a huge blind spot. And I mean, again, we, federal lawmakers, whether right or wrong get very uncomfortable stigmatizing drug addiction for hard substances, right? They don't want to continue the stigma. And yet for alcohol, they're more than willing to name and shame you because you happen to have three beers in a week. It's like, come on, give me a break. Yeah, I, I, I guess um, they, they're talking to me because uh, I'll tell you, it's been a doozy of a week here. And uh <laughs> As is my tradition, every time I come back to North America, I have to try out all of the drinks and flavors that you know I don't normally have access to. So uh, I've been hazy IPA in, I've been uh, summer IPA in, yeah. I've been uh, I've been doing the just the American pale ales and everything I can get my hands on, and it's the, the creativity there has been amazing. And uh, you know, yeah. I met with uh, oh yeah, met a lot of vape store owners. Uh, who were at this conference this week, you know, for them, they're 
they're in their work because of the absolute passion and getting people to quit and offering these great products. And, you know, you could say the same for a lot of the, you know, the brewmasters, craft beer people, you know, they, they have a hobby, something they've grown into a business. They're able to reach new consumers. They're able to offer great products. People enjoy them. People go out and have fun. You know, you can, I don't know, play cornhole when you're at some nice brewery or you could even bring your yep. kids nowadays or God forbid your dogs. And, you know, you got little bowls that people can drink from, you know, this is what makes life beautiful and to have entire lobbies and academics and, and departments that are just dedicated to making sure you don't have fun. Uh, I think is is um, kind of sad and maybe a, a reflection on these people more than society at large. Yeah. Yeah. Abs- I mean, <clears throat> totally, totally. It's, uh, it's, you mentioned fun, which is a very interesting way of putting it because it's, there is a degree here where it's just like, you know what? Maybe we just leave, leave people alone, mm-hmm. leave adults alone to a certain extent. It reminds me of a, a very old uh, Christopher Hitchens quote um, where he says, uh, and this was years ago, probably 2008, maybe. Um, He says, everywhere I go, there's always someone who knows better than me and what is good for me and will bar my road to pleasure. Not just the attainment of happiness, but even happiness as a pursuit. And I'm beginning to resent that. And I'm hoping that you're beginning to resent it too. The campaign to treat us all like children in matters of consumption of certain products is going to have all the glory and majesty and success of the war on drugs. Um, Can we put that on a graphic and uh, tweet that out? I think that's beautiful. I think we should. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. I mean, it's, it's an oldie, but it's a goodie um, as they say. Um, but it's true, right? We're talking about adults here, um, trying to nudge and curb and tax and restrict, uh, adult behavior, ironically in ways restrict the majority for the sake of the minority. I think under the old drinking guidelines, something like maybe 13 to 15% of, of alcohol consumers in Canada consume problematically um, beyond the old guidelines. Under the new guidelines, virtually anyone who drinks is a problematic drinker. Because if you do drink, there are numerous occasions where you will have more than two drinks in a week. Um, and so it, it, it just really kind of highlights the need for the, the pushback against some of that attitude that we can just kind of crush the human spirit into compliance, which you never will. I mean, these hard drugs have been illegal forever. Um, that hasn't stopped them from being available. That hasn't stopped people from getting them. If you think you're going to be able to restrict uh, adults away from alcohol entirely, good luck. It's just going to produce all the negative outcomes that we've seen time and time again. I loved McCarthy's comments when he met with the president of Taiwan and he said, look, I don't care what the communist party of China thinks they're not going to, they're not going to influence what I'm going to say. I'm not the owner of the Houston Rockets. Actually pretty good. 
because he did a video and he was like, look, I know you guys are mad. I know the president came on and basically spewed a bunch of lies. But if you think that only hearing people who you agree with is going to make this man go away, you're wrong. And I was like, oh, okay. Mm. That's a good, good, it's a good position. Yeah, there we go. Way to go, Anderson yeah. Cooper. Um, wow. Yeah, I think he said basically like if you think living in a silo and listening to only people you agree with is going to make Donald Trump go away, this man could be president again. Wow, this he's talking to the to the average CNN viewer yeah. there, which uh, is pretty good. Way to go, Anderson. Because I mean, there's a lot of people. How, how how could they give this man a platform? It's like, well, good point, but he's also right now the front runner unless something magical happens uh to uh to stop him and boy trump trump though sometimes he had these zingers he's like well why my poll numbers even higher now it's like this guy is like he's just hanging out on the wire waiting for these numbers to come in yeah he just says something goofy at some town hall in some small city and he's like well obviously they love it because my numbers yeah yeah the only (laughs) other note i would say is like if you're gonna interview people who go off the rails like that you have to be prepared as if you're going into a presidential debate where you know you know more about every detail and you've mapped out every response they could give you and you know every counter question down so that every question could be 30, 45 minutes and you know every route. Um, if you don't do that, then you're caught, you're caught flat-footed. He catches you off guard and – it gets messy. Um, it does get messy indeed. We'll, we'll talk more about that and uh, some other topics here on Consumer Choice Radio. Stay tuned. And we're back here on Consumer Choice Radio. David, you reminded me of the uh, Chick-fil-A uh, mess uh, from a couple of years ago. And I had to admit, I, I re- went back through my uh, Facebook memories uh, recently, and, and I did do a <sighs> Chick-fil-A is delicious. I like this chicken sandwich. Here's a picture of me at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I did do this. No, okay. <laughs> and my, my wife. Think about was, how uh, like they were treated. Also, also in yeah. But think about how Chick-fil-A was treated. Think about how Hobby Lobby was treated, and it's like I don't know. It's I used, it's the same thing I used to say to conservatives who got all riled up about same sex marriage. It's like you don't like same sex marriage. I don't know. Don't marry a guy. Like, just don't go there. <laughs> but to turn it into like, oh, we have to cancel Chick Fil A. We have to cancel Disney. It's like, why? I mean, yeah. I don't know. It, it just the whole thing seems like they're mirroring off each other, and that's. That's America going to hell right there. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be the path to hell for America. <laughs> yeah, the, the pro- people just like that, you know, and unfortunately, maybe you can time it. Does this always happen in the uh, sports off season? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you're not rooting for the, you know, Broncos or the Bruins, uh, you know, you can, you can turn to some company and lash and uh, – and protest, and you know, if I were in a business and I had people outside protesting, you know, I think there's a line, but I think after a while, I'll be like, hey, this is kind of good, because then you get people who 
you know, will virtue signal by buying more of your product to go against the guys. There's a very fun business case of exactly this. Um, Have you seen the the show about Chippendales, the creation of Chippendales? You know, no, but I I did – I hit like on the tweet because I thought it was interesting, and then it added me to some list and tagged me and DM'd me. So everybody knows I was trying to watch Chippendales. So. <laughs> no, so, what? I haven't seen the movie. Tell me about it. Yeah, so basically in the like early days of Chippendales, which is um, a male strip club, um, for those who aren't aware, um, essentially the the owner tips off like the lo- the local church groups. Uh, anonymously, and it's like, hey, did you see that this like exotic club has opened up in your neighborhood? And they all start protesting. And then he goes to a payphone and calls the local news station. He's like, hey, there are people protesting outside of this new male strip club. And then the news team shows up, and everyone's like, why did you do that? And he's, <laughs> he's, he's like, the ad value for 30 seconds um, on whatever the, the news station is in LA is like a thousand bucks. For every 30 seconds, he's like, they covered us for five minutes. This is all free. <laughs> oh, man. This seems like a, it's like a Trump-esque thing, like a, like a Trump stakes type thing as yeah. well. Uh, ah, man, I, have, all right, I do have to watch that. That's a good lesson. I, I won't sure ruin the end. He did turn out to be a very, very bad man. Um, I think there was like some murder involved, I think, from the trailer. Uh, some light murder, yeah. Some light murder. Some yeah. light murdering on the weekend. <laughs> Uh, I did. Uh, I think I read through the wiki on that. All right. Well, that's cool. Good lessons. And I'm sure there's a whole cottage industry of firms and um, in the show, the uh, billions. Yes. You know, they do this thing with the juice uh, company. You know, yeah. everybody's thrown up. And uh, yeah, the market manipulators. Man, that is a that's a whole other kind of industry. Another show that just popped up is a Rabbit Hole. Oh, I haven't with, seen uh, that. Keeper Sutherland, our fellow Canadian. Ooh, okay. Uh, so it's uh, I believe on uh, CBS. Paramount mm-hmm. Plus, and uh, he's sort of a corporate fixer type thing where you know he kind of does things to manipulate public opinion of companies and uh, enrage consumers. And uh, there's this whole like government conspiracy angle, which uh, is is my my love for uh, programs. That's your your bread and butter. It is my bread and butter. Um, yeah. This is normally uh, what I'm what I'm what I get a nice fixing for. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's another streaming platform. Um, Apparently, Paramount Plus and all these guys, this is the whole thing with the streaming wars. It's becoming so cumbersome, and a lot of these companies are losing money, and they probably dished out way too much money to do some of these huge productions. Well, I think for some of them, they have like one flagship show, but that can only carry you for so long, like with Paramount and uh, Yellowstone. Like, great show, but that's only going to carry you for so long. Yeah, and it's it's hard. It's hard because you have the tiered models of like you pay, and um, they have an interesting setup to where you can pay premium and have no commercials, or you pay like a minimal fee and you still get ads for thirty to sixty seconds. Okay, which you know is a way for uh, me and my wife to enjoy American commercials. Um, <laughs> a little taste of home. Oh yeah, I mean, you remember growing up? Ads were like the funnest thing. Everybody would be talking about commercials, and obviously we've we've done entire episodes on this program about the Super Bowl commercials. Yes, Smart Park. 
Spot Pack. Yeah, Spot Pack. And uh, obviously, we remember uh, back when Bud was in Good Graces. It was the Wazam. You know. Yeah, oh, yeah. Still one of the best commercials ever. Yeah, and we still remember you know so many of the the greatest ads of all time. And uh, have you tried the Grey Poupon? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, still on occasion, I will catch. I'll be like, "Oh, what's up? What are you up to?" And you're like, "You know, nothing. Watching the game, drinking a bud." There you go. Or uh, I forget what the one, the the recent one was. Uh, are you Jared from uh, State Farm, or no? Is it something? Jason at State Farm? I don't know. All kinds I, of things. I mean, but, another uh, famous Canadian one was the "I am Canadian" one, the Molson Canadian. Oh yeah. Where he's yeah. like, a toque is a hat. A Chesterfield is a couch. <laughs> so was that a real ad? Because I remember yeah. seeing that on YouTube. Real ad. Okay. Ran on TV. Oh, wow. It's probably the best ad they ever had. And I am Canadian. Canadian. I don't I... know Jimmy, Sally, or Susie from Canada, although I'm sure they're very nice. <laughs> I, maybe I saw, like, the French-Canadian, like, version of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was there... There know. is a joke version of Quebec, Quebecois version. He's like, I will merge over on the highway without using my blinker. Oh, it says, I am not Canadian. Uh, yeah. That's right. Now, of course, I've got ads running, so I can't play this. Uh, but, yeah, I remember that. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. And you yeah. can still remember these to these day, and that's why, um, obviously, we're lovers of the, the program Mad Men. Yes, uh, wherein a lot of this stuff was cooked up or originated, and, and you saw a lot of really good examples. Man, there's not really another show like that on TV, is there? Um, for ads, no, not really. Although I would love to see like a '80s '90s version of that, because mm. my understanding of like the ad industry um, is that the culture didn't really change until like the '80, like late '90s. Like, it was still very that boozy, like, vibe. And so, like, an 80s, 90s version of Mad Men would be pretty cool. If anyone, if any producers out there and they need an idea for a show, you're welcome. Yeah, if you're, you're listening to Consumer Choice Radio and you guys uh, got some nice ideas there for your, your next pitch, uh, maybe you can do a pilot. Yeah. Get us in, uh, get us in early. This is yeah. the, uh, the production company that uh, <laughs> will be doing it. Yeah, I like these ads. And... You know, where do you see ads today? You mostly see it in your Instagram feed, I guess, um, or if you're you know, clicking through social media sites. But I generally, yeah, with this new subscription streaming model, I don't really see many ads. It's just on the, the Paramount. And uh, a lot of it is about uh, laundry detergent. There's a lot of laundry detergent. Apparently, people are very dirty. That's like my only assumption. <laughs> And uh, full circle, that's how we were talking about Tucker and all those ads on Fox News and how many more they're going to have to print out. Yeah, yeah. So I got an interesting story here, David. Um, Apparently, there's a guy who's been doing these prank phone calls uh, posing as Ukrainian President uh, Volodymyr Zelensky. Okay. So apparently... Uh, he had one with uh, Kristen Lagarde, who's head of the European Central Bank, and he just did another one, this guy, with Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve. He got J-Pal? Uh, he got J-Pal. Oh, um, no. He, he apparently, Godwin talking about, you know, they always get to mention Bitcoin. 
Well, there's that. Uh, but also mention about, oh, we're going to set up our own new central bank and start printing stuff out. And, you know, we just need you guys. That's what Zelensky was saying. We need you to print more money. He's <laughs> like, oh, you know, we're, we're doing this. We're looking at the recession. It's like, do these guys not have staff that field these calls? Like, yeah, or is there, everybody so under the spell of Zelensky that everybody's just like, oh, yeah, I want to talk to him. I'll take the call. <laughs> yes. My job is very important. I should speak with Zelensky. Um, this prank phone call, but it's like Jerky Boys on the next level. Man, that is vintage pranks. The Jerky Boys, they yeah. had some good stuff. You remember the old Arnold Schwarzenegger board? Yeah. Where you could call and you'd be, you'd be like, I'm a cop, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Who Get is your daddy chopper. and what does he do? Oh, I have too many stories of um, random uh, open up the phone book. Find a funny name, call their number, you know, do this whole thing. Uh, the, that, the best that was, prank uh, I ever saw as a kid was the full blown like, "Hey, we're calling from the hydro company. Uh, is this Mrs. Whatever?" Because you knew the last name, and like, yeah, and like, okay, like there've been like rolling power outages. A couple major appliances have been like impacted. Do you mind? Like, you haven't had any outages, and they're like, "No," and they're like, "Do you mind checking? Like, all your lights are on." And like, okay, let me check. And they're like, okay, your like your fridge is running, because a lot of people have the fridge isn't running. The food goes bad, so we're kind of asking people if the fridge is running. And it's like, okay, let me go check. Yeah, yeah, the fridge is running. Well, you better go catch it. <laughs> oh, uh, classic one. Epic. Um, Epic. <laughs> yeah, that was like pretty much early uh, internet uh, humor as well. I remember on E bombs World. Yes. Uh, these were all the early. Uh, you know, good soundboard uh, audio clips and uh, things people would share on Kazaa back in the day. <laughs> yep. Oh, good times. So now, uh, now they're, you know, they're doing the prank calls uh, using the voice of, um, you know, the Ukrainian president. And uh, they're able to get into all kinds of conversations. Jeez, this can't, I think, so Lagarde was one. Now we had Powell. I'm sure there's been a Canadian politician person who's who's gotten... Imagine them just getting Freeland on the phone. <laughs> oh, this would be delicious. This would be delicious. He'd be like, we need you to shut down more bank accounts. Uh, Freedom Convoy 2.0. <laughs> it's like, you know, we've been thinking about that. That's a great idea. Anybody who opposes our policies. Uh... Yeah, any updates on Freeland? Uh, anything uh, happening uh, federal level in Canada? She's far um, less public now. So I did notice, um, obviously, we've talked about the uh, Chinese donation. Yes. Um, and, and Trudeau did uh, the tried and true, auth, uh, you know, honest political response of saying, well, we are proudly pro-choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he had this, this argument with this barely coherent teenager about abortion. Yeah, and then the you and then the the liberals have turned it into like a full blown ad, and then there's like a follow up ad where Trudeau's like, "Well, you've probably seen this video of me chatting with this young man. We are always going to be pro choice." And the thing is, is that the whole thing is a myth. That yes, they are pro choice, but there's nothing constitutionally that guarantees access to abortion. It's just an absence of law, and. Trudeau could very well enshrine it and codify it into law, but they don't. And so what on earth are you talking about? 
I just don't understand. It's like you could, if you, if this is what you truly believe, then put your money where your mouth is and go ahead and do it. But I mean, it's like every time they're in trouble, that's the card they're going to go with. And I think a lot of intelligent people see through it. They're like, oh, okay, the polling numbers are bad. (laughs) Here we go again. Well, there we go. That's uh, sort of the the typical flair for, uh, unfortunately, what has happened in our dear Canada, our uh, native land and uh, the political situation there. Uh, But yeah, I got to tell you, David, um, hopefully we can turn this around. We can talk about more substantive consumer issues uh, in our political debates. Uh, We're seeing more of that a bit in the U.S. Uh, Canada's a bit distracted temporarily, so hopefully we can get around that. But in the meantime, we'll be here, Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, Myself, Yael Ososki, and David Clement, our co-host here at the program. Uh, You guys stay tuned. Um, You know, it's been a great week, great production. If you're interested in following more, you can subscribe to the podcast version, Consumer Choice Radio, in your podcast app or your modern podcast app, something like Fountain or Podverse. Uh, Always a pleasure to have you guys on. Thanks so much for listening to Consumer Choice Radio. We'll be back next week with more conversations, more interviews, and more talk about consumer choice and everything that matters.